the only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show and with the all-important return of the Premier League this weekend we have a packed show to get through eight games, stacks of goals and, if you haven't heard it yet, one big, big Premier League departure. Yes, the breaking news in the last couple of hours is that Rafa Benitez has finally been sacked as Everton boss. Toffees fans were very, very clear in their feelings after Saturday's 2-1 defeat to Norwich and now the Spaniard has brought to an end his time on the blue side of Stanley Park. We'll be getting all the latest reaction to the news that Rafa is out during the show, plus reviewing all the other games right the way across the last 48 hours. In part one, we check in with the champions as Manchester City laid down a title marker with a 1-0 win over Chelsea. But for United, it was another frustrating weekend as Steven Gerrard got the band back together in Birmingham and Philip Coutinho, yes, remember him, Philip Coutinho inspired Aston Villa to a 2-2 draw. That's all to come in part one of the show. In part two, we'll be reacting to Rafa and asking what next for Everton in the weeks ahead. And then we flick across Stanley Park to check in with Liverpool. Important win for Jurgen Klopp today, 3-0 at home to Brentford as they keep alive their own slim chances of challenging City in the title race. And then, to wrap it all up in part three, we'll be running around the grounds with some key wins for Leeds and Wolves, but more frustration for Eddie Howe and Newcastle as they drew one all at home to Watford. Right then, let's get stuck into the show tonight. My name's Fergal Brennan and joining me, we have United fan and podcaster from the Masterclass podcast, Rob Blanchett. Rob, how are you doing? I'm good, Fergal. How are you, mate? Very well, very well, Rob. Thanks very much. Uh, alongside Rob, we also have the Daily Mail's Northern football reporter, Jack Gorn. Jack, how's things? I'm all right, mate. How are you? Very good, very good indeed. Right, we're going to get stuck straight into this because we've got so much get to get through in terms of news, in terms of games, eight games, and obviously the big story surrounding the end of Rafa at Goodison Park. So, first of all, Jack, we're going to go to the champions. 1-0 Manchester City at home to Chelsea. You were at the Etihad yesterday, and, and from watching this and watching the game and watching how City approached it and Pep Guardiola's post-match press conference, this just seemed like a, a case of levels from Manchester City in terms of where they are where Chelsea and Liverpool are and where the rest of the Premier League are ahead in all the key stats, possession, shots, shots on target, everything. And then all importantly, that goal, that brilliant goal from Kevin De Bruyne to win it. From from your perspective, watching the game, is that how it played out? That Chelsea are good, Chelsea are improving, slowly edging back to, to the form that we saw at the start of the season. But Manchester City are just arguably in a league of their own. Yeah, I think the, um, I think the two victories over... Chelsea this season have basically set the benchmark for uh, the campaign and which will end up with them winning another another title, I think, four or five years. They've, they've played... I was at the game at Stamford Bridge in September or whenever it was, and they just completely bossed it from start to finish. Um, and obviously we was at the game yesterday and it was a similar... It followed a similar pattern. Chelsea have had one shot on target in 180 minutes against City this season in the league, um, which felt like I don't know. They obviously City lost to them, lost against them three times last uh, the back end of last season. 
um, ended in the, in the Champions League final. And it just it felt in those two performances against Chelsea, who I, among plenty of others, had tipped to win the league. It felt like a little bit of a statement. Both of those, both of those displays. I think you're right. Like they are at the moment, they are a level or two above certainly Chelsea and possibly Liverpool as well. Um, and it is the sort of I mean, the difference between City and the rest of the league, if you like, take away the argument from rival fans about the money spent and all that sort of stuff, because everybody always spends money, it, the difference between them is that they, they run more, they defend better, they kind of they, they give everything for 90 minutes every single week. And I don't think you can say that for plenty of the other teams in the, in the top six. And that's, that is what sets them apart. And then when they have the ball, you can't get the ball off them. And looking at the performances on an individual basis, obviously Kevin De Bruyne getting the goal to win the game, but those one-to-one battles that are so often massive in these games between City and Liverpool or City and Chelsea and some of the interesting ones that I've picked out from yesterday, Raheem Sterling against Marcus Alonso. Raheem Sterling didn't get himself on the score sheet but was excellent, seemed to be getting past Alonso at every opportunity. And then at the other end of the pitch, Romelu Lukaku, one shot on target, kept out by Edison. By and large, Heinrich Laporte and the system around him kept Lukaku very, very quiet. Yeah, I mean, Sterling Sterling looks a completely different, or has looked a completely different player in the last six weeks to, to what we saw at the back end of last season and the start of this. Um, he seems to be reborn. He's playing on the right-hand side a little bit more. Um, I always find he's a little bit more direct when he plays um, on his natural on his natural side. And Alon- Alonso just didn't have an answer for him. And I think when Sterling's in that sort of mood and he's running at his man, and he's actually been really direct and heading for the box uh, on an angle. I don't think anyone can live with him. Um, so I felt a little bit sorry for for Alonso and um, the young lad in the in the back three as well. He kind of didn't really have a great deal of protection, certainly first half. Um, and then Laporte and Stones did a really really good job on Lukaku, which kind of showed Lukaku up a little bit because he was so isolated, which wasn't necessarily his fault but he couldn't win his battle because basically both of them were taking care of him one went um, and the other one swept up and you can't expect you can't expect Lukaku to to be you know 20-25 yards away from the nearest Chelsea player and fashion chances on his own which was interesting after the after the game when, when Tuchel was uh, was complaining about the attackers um, and was asked about Lukaku and said oh uh, it was put to him that maybe Lukaku didn't have enough service, and he he turned around and went, "Well, sometimes he's got to, you know manufacture the service himself." Which I just don't, I just don't think you play into his strengths with that at all. Um, so it was, yeah, utterly dominant in every area. I don't, I don't think there was a, I don't think there was an area of the pitch or a one-on-one battle that City City lost. Um, and if if you do that, and the other and the opposition only have one shot on target then you're going to win the vast majority of your games, even the biggest ones. And in terms of, of Chelsea, and, and you're right there, this this issue that Thomas Tuchel has raised before regarding Romelu Lukaku, regarding all the players, one shot on target, which, as I say, fell to Lukaku, who was denied by Edison. Chelsea, other than that, looked pretty toothless. And there's an interesting quote from Tuchel uh, after the game. He said, in the second half, we did create chances, but it was all on the counter-attack. We had that one big chance with Lukaku to go ahead, but all in all, it was a tight match and these things think these things can happen. But ultimately, it comes down to individual quality and we lacked that quality up front. That's a pretty focused comment. And we know, obviously, there's been a situation in the last month or so with Lukaku, the famous interview uh, about his love for Inter Milan and potentially wanting to go back there in future. 
do you get the sense with these types of comments, Thomas Tuchel doesn't sugarcoat these things, he is quite straight, that that's still playing on his mind, that Lukaku has annoyed him, I know he's come out now and apologised, but that he is annoyed that Lukaku isn't scoring the goals and turning in the performances that arguably Chelsea brought him back to Stamford Bridge to do. I think the you mentioned the interview, obviously the interview was uh, ill-advised, um, ill-thought-out and ill-timed and um, annoyed everybody around Chelsea uh, to a massive degree. I think with with Tuchel, obviously I don't like kind of cover Tuchel that much, uh, being in Manchester for obvious reasons, um, but I find him, I always find him to be exceptionally honest and pro- probably too honest. And that's not just in what he says in front of the cameras or in front of us. It's it's on the touchline as well. Like the, he's just so transparent in what he's in what he's thinking. I mean, like there was time and time again yesterday, he's throwing his arms up and turning to the bench, shaking his head and shouting at people for like, you know, errors that his players are making, but not like massive errors. And it just felt like he was he was ready to blow at any moment. I just think that's the sort of thing that if your manager's doing that on the touchline, I think that filters onto the pitch. I can't it can't be helpful. Right, we're going to flick across from the blue half of Manchester to the red half of Manchester for our second game in part one. And Rob, Aston Villa 2, Manchester United 2 at Villa Park. I'm going to talk to you, obviously, about United in just a second. But Felipe Coutinho was the big story from this game, obviously for the Villa fans in terms of his performance and, and how he dragged them back into the game and assist for Jacob Ramsey and then the equaliser in the last couple of minutes. This is an interesting move in the January transfer window. And I know it stings in terms of the goal that he got yesterday against United, but what can Steven Gerrard get from Felipe Coutinho? We know they have a relationship from playing together at Liverpool. Gerrard was Coutinho's captain. We know that he helped him a lot personally and professionally during his time at Anfield. Gerrard has been full of praise for him since he's come in. He said that he needs to be loved and he needs an environment where he feels appreciated. We saw in this little cameo yesterday that that quality that he that he does have locked inside of him is still there. Realistically, what can Gerrard get from Coutinho between now and the end of the season? Well, he, he needs the old Coutinho, doesn't he, from Liverpool. He needs that consistency, that type of player that went for that incredible su- summer money when he left Anfield and joined Barcelona. Um, I think it's a good signing for Aston Villa. And you saw, you know, when he came on with around 20 minutes to go, it was almost written in the stars and the headlines that former Liverpool player with former Liverpool player who was a, in the manager now of Aston Villa was were going to steal it away from Man United in the final moments. But they deserved it. And I think that Coutinho, he can be that extra you know brick layer of quality that Villa need to kind of push on they're they're a very rich football club they've got money they've got funds they've got an exciting new manager and I think Coutinho adds to that talent and I think when you've got Ings and you've got Watkins in front of you it's a really good setup for a front three uh, looking at United, uh, still issues and still question marks over certain areas of the team. So I'm just going to try and break it into into chunks and get your your take on them, Rob. No Cristiano Ronaldo, but Bruno Fernandes stepped up two goals, albeit the first one gifted to him from a mistake from Emiliano Martinez. But the second one, a really accomplished finish. And then ultimately Coutinho's late, late show meant that it, it was just a point for United. In terms of Bruno Fernandes, there's so much stuff that's been floating around that he doesn't necessarily dovetail well with Cristiano Ronaldo. We've seen that arguably so far this season with United. We definitely see it when they're on international duty with Portugal together. Bruno Fernandes has been, by and large, a very good player for Manchester United since he's come in to the club. Do you think 
that there is some truth in this, that maybe it's either a personal, it's a tactical thing, that when they are in the same team, you don't see the best of both, and certainly not the best of Bruno Fernandes. Well, it's 100% true that Bruno and Cristiano do not play well together. They have never played well together for their country. Um, when they, he arrived, obviously, at, at Old Trafford, when Cristiano came again, um, you could see that the chemistry wasn't there. I think they had one or two games where it was OK, but you can see it fell off quite quickly. And it's the, the end story of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign. You know, you bring an icon back to your football club and you mess up your best player at the football club. So that's how it's been, I think, the last few weeks. And Ralph Randnick's task now is to somehow make Bruno Fernandes serviceable again because his performances have been that low for him uh, and we did see that against Villa you know I think this was Manchester United's best performance under Ralph Ranić. so that tells you a lot doesn't it that the game ended up 2-2 and United ended up throwing two late goals away but this was definitely a step forward and I think the fact that he found a way to facilitate through Bruno was a huge positive of course the issue now is what do you do when Cristiano comes back well, that's something that Rangnick is going to have to address in in the next couple of weeks, and obviously we do still have two two and a half weeks of the of the January transfer window to go. And this was something that was floating around massively on on social media last night amongst United fans, frustrated at throwing away a lead and ultimately only coming away with a point from from Villa Park. We know that Rangnick has a very unusual tactical setup that he likes to go with this really narrow midfield. Do these results and these performances demonstrate to you as a United fan? exactly what United need to do in the January transfer window. Whether they will actually do it or not is a different question. But is it clear to you what United now need to do? Well, Manchester United need to rebuild their football club once again. So it's not the first time I've said that on a podcast or written in an article. It seems to repeat itself every few years. I think the issue here is that Ralph Ranić is a builder of football clubs, but what can he really do in six months? What can he do with one transfer window where he'll probably not be backed? So I just think that there's so much toxicity behind the scenes at United, both in the squad, the kind of tactical outlay as well. Like you just said there, it's a narrow formation. They played 4-1-4-1 against Villa um, and they pressed and it's the first time they really have used some kind of form of game pressing and, and it was impressive for about... 35 minutes, 40 minutes. But then, of course, the fitness issues came in. We just touched on Manchester City, didn't we? You know, Manchester City are great, not because of how good they are, but because of how hard they work, because how they can apply what Guardiola wants them to do. This Man United team, I'm not quite sure if they're ever, in the next three or four months, going to be able to do what Ranić truly wants them to do on a football pitch. Uh, and quickly before we take a break uh, from issues on the pitch to issues off the pitch and a player who wasn't even at Villa Park last night, Anthony Martial, Ralph Rangnick was pretty straight in his post-match press conference. Robbie said that he declined to travel, that he wasn't available or, or more accurately he didn't make himself available for the game. Anthony Martial has kind of bitten back on Instagram last night by saying that that just isn't true. He would never, never refuse to not travel to a game. He'd never refuse to not play. So... That shows that this issue between Anthony Martial and, and Manchester United, maybe not directly Ralph Rangnick, is still rolling on. We know that both parties are happy for him to leave. What happens next? I mean, he is still under contract until 2024. There's the option for a further 12 months. Pretty confident that won't get invoked now. But there does seem to be this bit of a standoff where he wants to go, the club are happy for him to go, provided they can get a deal. What happens between now and the end of January? 
Well, they've got to find a buyer. And I think the issue for that is uh, you either let him go on loan and try and do a Jesse Lingard. So you send him to West Ham. You want to put him in a shop window. You want him to perform. And then you want to sell him. But what do you do? You bring him back to the club. I think the issue is that Martial goes to Sevilla or another football club and does well. Man United might be asking him to return. Uh, but I do think it's the end for Anthony Martial. You know, the, the whole thing with what Ranić said about him not being ready to play and, you know, not, not being... <laughs> keen to be part of the Manchester United squad for this game. It's very true that, that Anthony Martial has said that he does not want to feature for Manchester United. He wants to be sold. He wants to leave the football club as quick as possible. So if I'm Ralph Rennick, I'm not picking that player. I'm not even considering him. But of course, the, the fallout from it when a player jumps on Instagram and, you know, uh, does a post to his you know few million followers and then that gets retweeted and goes around the world it's going to cause a huge storm uh, but it's a shame because I, I like Anthony Martial but I do think his time at Manchester United is up and United need to find a buyer as quick as they can Looks like it's going to be a busy end to the transfer window comings and goings at Manchester United right we're going to grab a quick break here on the Football Social Daily after the break we're going to be reacting to that big breaking news from Goodison Park Rafa Benitez six months into a three year contract at Everton has gone the Toffees fans have spoken and Rafa is out we're going to be getting the guys thoughts on who could replace him and also discussing Liverpool's win over Brentford as they keep their slim title chances burning with an important three points. We'll be back with all of that in just a second. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. We are talking Rafa in part two. The big news over the last 48 hours is that Rafa Benitez has finally been put out of his misery at Goodison Park. Jack, I'm going to throw this over to you first to get to get your immediate take on this because this seems to have been coming for weeks. The Everton fans have made very, very clear that they arguably probably weren't very happy with this right from the start when he was appointed as manager because of his connections with Liverpool, because of his very conservative approach and a whole myriad of reasons just seemed that this was a marriage of convenience. The results haven't happened. They've won just once in all competitions since the end of September, particularly the away fans. We saw it at Hull in the FA Cup last weekend and then losing 2-1 to Norwich this time round in, in Premier League action. They've been baying for blood. There's been signs in the, in the away ends calling for him to leave. They've been singing, you're getting sacked in the morning. And now, maybe not in the morning, in the late afternoon, he has been sacked. How did Everton get to this position with Rafa Benitez? Because... This, for me, never really seemed to fit. Even the most optimistic Evertonians always kind of had a little bit of an asterisk next to Rafa Benitez taking over. How have Everton found themselves in this situation at this point in the campaign? Uh, well, they were left in the lurch by Ancelotti, weren't they? And they panicked, uh, which is why they ended up with Benitez. I mean, the problem with Benitez was that he didn't. He was never going to be given a honeymoon period, so he faced an uphill battle as soon as he lost a couple of games. Because um, ordinarily, I know they've been on a horrendous run of results, but ordinarily a new manager coming in six months after he'd taken over, we're probably not talking about his job prospects at this, even with the results. But because it is Rafa, and I also think because Everton fans think they're being laughed at by Liverpool fans, and you you know we've all seen the like agent Rafa sort of 
chat on Twitter and all that sort of stuff. And, and I think that all that plays a part. Um, and that's why it's turned so quickly and quite aggressively. Um, they don't seem to, I mean, we've said how many times we've said on this podcast over the last three or four years that they don't seem to have a plan and who's at fault and no one can really answer it. And, you know, brands always, always used to get the, um, always used to take the blame, didn't he? And then fans blame Ken Wright and the, the owners made some baffling decisions and thrown a, a lot of money at it. It's just, where did he, where did he go? It's feels like it's probably going to come full circle and then, Roberto Martinez take over um, and this is the same Roberto Martinez who'd done really well for them for however long it was 18 months and then there were protests there were protests to get to, to remove him um, and you wonder what would have happened if if Martinez had, had stayed at the, at the club um, and was allowed a few years to kind of build on what he'd started this uh, I don't think it would be in this in this position now but I think with with Rafa you, I think the, Rafa has a real problem when players don't buy into his methods, probably more than most other managers, because his training and the way he approaches management is so methodical, bordering on dull, that if you're not if you're not with him, then it just it slip it slides like really quickly, and you know you look at that Everton team over the last month, and I I don't think anyone can say that that group of players are, are, have been playing for the manager. No, I agree. And uh, I suppose when you look at the situation, Rob, as, as Jack points out, this idea that Roberto Martinez is on the list of potential candidates to come back to the club and, and replace Benitez now that he's been sacked. But just looking at some of the numbers post-David Moyes, Everton have had six permanent managers, including Martinez, Ronald Koeman, Sam Allardyce, Marco Silva, Carlo Ancelotti and Rafa Benitez. And interspersed in that, you've had caretaker spells, two for David Unsworth and one for Duncan Ferguson. This, as Jack said, stinks of a club that does not have a plan. David Moyes only left in 2013 and they've been through all of those coaches across that period. And looking at the big statistic that always jumps out at me, the win percentage, none of them have got over 50%. Carlo Ancelotti's got the highest, he's got just over 46. So generally, none of those managers have really set the world alight. And, and some of these are big names. Ronald Koeman is a big name. Sam Allardyce is obviously an experienced Premier League manager. Carlo Ancelotti's one of the best managers in the world, or certainly has been one of the best managers in the world. But no approach has worked. And that, again, comes back to this idea that they've tried everything without really trying anything. Yeah, it's a, one of those football clubs, isn't it, that's attracted money, they've got cash to spend, and they're trying to do it in a in a kind of flippant way where you, you, you buy success, you buy players, you get you get top managers in, you get names in, and everyone thinks that works. Well, we know in football that doesn't work. So I think with Rafa, you know, I kind of compare him to the, the, the Mourinho stance of a manager who was once great, who once won trophies, but is now on his way out. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a, still a good coach, but is he the guy who's going to take you into, you know, the top six and then into the Champions League? I really don't think so. I think the good thing for Everton is that they do want to reset their project now, and obviously they've moved the manager on. There are some really good coaches out there. We've just talked about Martinez. But I think Graham Potter, for me, still at Brighton, he's the guy that one of these aspiring top clubs is going to get sooner rather than later. And I think he's the kind of person that could take the philosophy at Everton and take 
it to the next level. I'm going to say now, obviously, on tomorrow's podcast, the guys are going to get stuck into a bit more detail and we might have a bit more news on whether there's going to be an interim appointment. Duncan Ferguson's going to come in maybe for a few games or, or a little bit longer. But I do want to get your, both your quick take on this. Jack, Graham Potter, is, as uh, Rob mentioned, is a possible name that could be looked at or be linked. And, and he has been linked in the past to, to Everton and to one or two other jobs. But I look at this picture and I don't see a current Premier League manager that would be tempted by this. The big club argument will come back into it that Everton do have a do have a, a fantastic history within English football and definitely better than a number of teams that are in the Premier League. But you've got a lot of Premier League managers that are very comfortable in the situation that they've had that they have now. Going to Everton would be a risk for them, a risk a risk their reputation, a risk to their C V. And you look at some of the names that have been linked, Potter is on the list, but top of the shop above Roberto Martinez is, is Wayne Rooney. Do you think he could be an option or do you think it could be somebody else? Yeah, well, funnily enough, I'd have said, um, if this had happened four months ago, I'd have said Eddie Howe because Eddie Howe's an Everton fan. But um, yeah, Rooney, they should, I think they should be going for Rooney if they want a bit of a bounce. Um, but if I was Rooney, I wouldn't touch that job with a barge pole. And that's the key um, to this? That's, Much that's, the, that's the issue that Everton you know, face. Rooney, Rooney taking that job would be kind of akin to Lampard taking a Chelsea job in a way, and it probably comes a bit too early. But if it was offered, like, can you really turn it down? I don't know. It's like it's it, it'd be more beneficial for him if they didn't come calling. I think. Where do you stand on this, Rob? Obviously, Wayne Rooney is is a legend at Manchester United. He is still a legend at Everton. We know, obviously, maybe there was a little bit of sourness about his, his second spell when he went back there. But a lot of fans would see this as potentially, as Jack said, giving them a bit of a bounce and giving them something to build on because he, he does have a good relationship with the majority of the supporter base. But he is very inexperienced. I have been impressed with what he's done at Derby in in really difficult situation. But also, his shtick at Derby is... I'm going to stick by Derby and dig them out of this mess and make sure they don't get relegated. If he turns around and walks out on Derby to go back to Everton, that's not a good look for him either. It's not a good look, but, you know, can you really say you're going to stick with Derby County with where they are and what's going on at that football club and turn down a Premier League team? You know, not just a Premier League team, but the one that you were raised at and the one that you're connected to by Manchester United. Um, Look, I think Wayne, if he was offered the job, he would take it tomorrow. When we talk about poison chalices and football clubs that are not run well, I think ultimately economics comes into it. So talking about Graham Potter there, you know, if he went to Everton, he'd be on five or six times current salary. He'll go to Everton if he's offered that job. It's a project. You'll be given a little bit of time. You'll be given a big checkbook. And I think that it will be more of a, a young manager's job now for Everton rather than looking for, say, the next Ancelotti or the next Benitez. They'll be looking for a manager who's got kind of a hotshot prospect and will be able to take them on for some, maybe the next four or five years. Before we move on to Liverpool, Rob, just a quick word on Norwich. Obviously, on the back of Rafa getting sacked, that's dominated the story. But it was a big three points for them this weekend. 2-1 at home and a first Premier League goal for Adam Eder to, to get those three three points. Things did look positive when Dean Smith initially came in. They had a little bit of a bounce, that word again. Everyone seems to have a bounce when they come in. But pretty difficult run over Christmas. Five straight defeats. Sneaked through in the FA Cup last weekend. And you look at the situation, you're, you're scrabbling around for positives if you are a Norwich fan. Could maybe the likes of Eda getting a run and one or two of the other young players, Brandon Williams on loan from Manchester United, played well yesterday, got the assist for Eda. 
do you maybe think that's a route that Dean Smith could go down? Because he doesn't really have a lot to lose. If he if he goes the way he's going, they're probably going to go down. They can either go down fighting and playing a few of the young guys or just sink like a stone probably before Easter. Well, I think they brought Dean Smith to the football club because if they get relegated, which is obviously what I think the bookies would say, uh, Dean Smith's a really good manager to get you back up. And that's been Norwich's stick now for a while, hasn't it? You know, relegation, promotion and back again. Uh, I, I look at this Norwich team. It was a good victory against a poor Everton side. But ultimately, you know, they haven't got much depth. They're, they are a relegation candidate for a reason. They're still in the bottom three. They're going to have to somehow get past Watford. You'd expect maybe the teams above there now, Everton to knock on. Leeds played very well today. So they're still kind of, you know, set adrift there with Newcastle and Burnley. And I just think those three clubs are going to find it really tough to dig their way out of their current predicaments. Right, we're going to move on to Liverpool. Jack, this is the first game Liverpool have had since the start of the AFCON and we know there's been so much focus on Salah, Mane, Keita heading off on international duty. Liverpool have had cup games uh, since they've left and this was the first game in the Premier League. Three goals, three points, 3-0 three win at home to Brentford and obviously they've kind of drafted in their, their plan B in terms of an attacking unit. Roberto Firmino, Curtis Jones and, and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain all getting some action. Oxlade-Chamberlain getting himself a goal, Minamino getting a goal and Firmino getting an assist. So not too bad a day's work for Liverpool. I suppose the big question to ask with Liverpool moving forward into the weeks and months to come, we talked about Chelsea and how City might have ended their chances of any sort of a title burst in the next few weeks. Liverpool have a game in hand. If they win that, they cut it to eight points in behind City. Do they have a chance? They still have to play City again, which if they get a result would cut it even further. But you're ultimately relying on City to drop points that at the moment you can't see them doing can Liverpool push them? Yeah, well, yeah, they have, they, of course they got a chance. to um fabulous team, aren't they? Um, and, you know, we've seen, seen in years gone by over the last 10 years, there's been a couple of occasions, maybe three, where teams have been chased down with um, sizable leads in, in January. Um, so, and also the, the other thing was, the AFCON's not really hurt them that much, has it? Um, obviously, they were missing today, as you said, the first Premier League game they were missing. They got Palace next week away, and I think that might be it for Premier League games they're missing. So it's you know it's only two games. In the meantime, they were what they what they really had had to do was share the load in the absence of Salah and, and Mane, which they've done today because three different scorers and three different players um, assisting as well. So it's an you know, some of those players will see it as an opportunity. Curtis Jones will see it as an opportunity to impress over the next couple of weeks um, and stake a claim for a for a starting place when when everyone's back um, from Afcon and when everyone else is when everyone else is fit. But yeah, I think they can. You know, they go eight points behind if they win the game in hand. If they win at City, it's down to five. I think that game, oh, that's not till April that game. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's you know, Klopp thinks he's got the best. Klopp thinks he's got the best. Um, goalkeeper in the world best centre half in the world and the best striker in the world so you know if you've got those three players in your team then you should be able to to push right to the end yeah, you'd say if you've got the best keeper, centre-back and striker, you'd have a, at least half a chance. A uh, lot of optimism from Jurgen Klopp about what could be a one, if not a two-horse title race. Just a quick word on Brentford, Rob, before we take a break. Just one win in five in the Premier League. This was difficult for them today. Obviously, Liverpool missing these players. You'd still expect at Anfield, Liverpool to be OK, and, and they more than were. 
I suppose with Brentford, points in the bag already. They've got 23 on the board, aiming for that kind of 35 to 40 uh, come the end of the season to make sure that they're still in the Premier League. But they've got a difficult run coming up. United in midweek. Then they've got Wolves, Everton in the FA Cup. We obviously don't know what the managerial situation is going to be there. And then Manchester City away to end that little run. It it looks difficult for them. And particularly looking at that run where they've just picked up one win, Brian and Buemo and Ivan Tony haven't scored. So there's a few things for Thomas Frank to look at. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well with Brentford, you know, for them, it is just about survival. And and even if the run that they've got next is, is a difficult one and they don't accumulate points, you still feel with the way that they apply themselves and their work rate and how they are this season, that they'll still survive. There's still teams in this division who are worse than they are. But it's been a good first season for them. I know it's just only been 21 games, but they've shown that they can cope with teams who play maybe a more sophisticated style or have bigger reputations. They're certainly not scared to put themselves about and actually find their way to three points in matches. Yeah, I've I've already stuck my neck out on a podcast last week with Niall by saying that Brentford are going to be okay, so I'm not going to go against myself or contradict myself. I'm still confident that they will be all right come the end of the season. Right, we're going to grab another quick break here on the Football Social Daily. After the break, we're wrapping up all the other action. Four more games, some big results to be digging through and some massive storylines. We're going to be getting stuck into all of it in just a second. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. As always, here on Football Social Daily, we are your daily Premier League podcast. Every 24 hours, a fresh show to get stuck into. If you hit subscribe up the top there on this show, you can get access to a brand new episode as soon as it is ready. Right, part three, we're going to be getting stuck in slash discussing some of the big other talking points from this weekend. Four games still to get through, Rob. Newcastle won, Watford won, and I'm taking a a deep breath because when it comes to Newcastle and Eddie Howe, it is a little bit rinse and repeat for the last few weeks. Since he's come in, the expected, that word again, bounce that he was going to have hasn't really happened. They've won just once since he's come in. That was against Burnley right back at the start of December. They brought in Kieran Trippier. His debut was an FA Cup defeat to Cambridge United. They brought in Chris Wood. His debut was a one-all draw against Watford this weekend. Newcastle are still mired right in relegation danger, but it's difficult to actually see how they're going to get out of this unless they do actually sign Kylian Mbappe in the next week. <laughs> well, when Unai Emery was interviewed for this job, he came out of that interview saying this is not a serious football project. And it kind of feels like that. Here we are in January and you know they want to survive they want to obviously stay up in this division they've brought a coach who's maybe his stock is a bit lower than it was maybe a couple of years ago obviously when he was doing well at, at Bournemouth with Eddie Howe but you look at the signings of Trippier you know a good price for a, a player who did really well in the last couple of years at Atletico Madrid but then Chris Wood you know what's that all about is that about making Burnley weaker because I think Burnley will be stronger if they spend that money on a better player so it's a strange set of circumstances at Newcastle because I would have thought by now with a new coach you'd have you'd have at least felt the bounce but as you said rinse and repeat they're going to have to do some incredible work in this transfer market in this january window to survive they still look 
you know, bang on like a, a relegation candidate. And they just cannot get the performances week to week. Yeah, and it's a difficult picture on the other side in the opposite dugout, Jack, for, for Claudio Ranieri. Everyone does like him. Everyone wants to see the best for him when he was shaking his fist when they got the late equaliser in this. You're kind of willing something positive to happen for him, but you also know that his team are probably going to let him down. This was not even the first win. This is the first point they've picked up since they beat United back at the end of November. And despite the fact that they, they probably will drag out results like this and get points and there's still goals within the ranks. Emmanuel Dennis has obviously been quite impressive for them this season. This doesn't really change anything, which is a bit hard to say to Watford fans because they've just grabbed a point away from home at a relegation rival. But similarly to Newcastle, their picture doesn't really seem to be changing much either. No, I think both, um, both clubs are basically reliant on individual brilliance. Um I was I was at Vicarage Road when they lost against City. Uh, I think that was early December, and after the match, I was down pitch side. This is about forty five minutes after full time. I was down pitch side, um, and there was a couple of like there was an ex pro about, and there was someone from Man City's backroom team, both watching a warm down with a substitute, with a Watford substitute, and everybody was like looking at each other, going, "Oh my god, this is like." really really bad like the what they were doing uh, they were like playing a small sided game and there was barely any effort um there was no quality and like people were turning around going jesus if this is like what is what ranieri's got in reserve then they're in massive massive trouble because there didn't seem to be any sort of like i don't know like enthusiasm for being there i suppose is the best way to put it um and then yeah they, they, as you said it's like it's up to it's up to Dennis or whoever else to to nick him, nick him wins. Um, in much the same way as Sam Maximan at, at Newcastle, then you know, I think Newcastle fans find Sam Maximan quite frustrating quite a lot of the time because he gives. I mean, it happened yesterday. He gave the ball away a couple of times and put him in in deep trouble. But us who are not Newcastle fans that might only watch my match of the day think he's a world beater. Um, and it'd be with him. It'd be interesting to see. Which club comes in for him? Because I don't, I, I don't think it'll be any of the, the big boys. I think it'll be, sort of like a an Everton or or, or a team like that really that come knocking. Yeah, I can't wait. Wayne Rooney signs Alan St. Maximin for Everton. Just keep an eye on that headline there for the next couple of weeks. That that could be the, the future <laughs> that we're moving towards, Rob. A team that will be looking to put a bit of distance between themselves and, and the relegation battle in the next few weeks and months is, is Leeds United. Big win for them today. 3-2 away at West Ham. Hat-trick, a brilliant hat-trick as well for Jack Harrison to get the win and get the three points. And we were joking before we started recording about the situation at Leeds this season because... I look at this from the perspective of we cover them on the podcast, they cover them for work and generally they always seem to make a bit of a fist of it, they might get beat but they do kind of cobble together enough points to, to generally be okay but this is actually the first time they've won back-to-back league games. They beat Burnley at home on the second, then there was a bit of a delay because of Covid and then they've got this result today. They can turn in these performances, they can go toe-to-toe with teams and get positive results but ultimately that also leaves them open and they're not out of relegation danger. They've probably got a bit more quality than some of the teams below them, but they need more results like this if they're to push on and get nice and safe into mid-table. Yeah, I said earlier on after the the West Ham match that today it felt like Leeds United season began 
So this felt like leads from last year and from before that, pressing high up the pitch, lots of energy, lots of endeavour, and finding ways to hurt opposition defences. I think we also really have to highlight that Leeds have had so many injuries this term, and it's been difficult for Bielsa to put a, a kind of competitive eleven out there. You know that some of their best players from last season have been absent. Bamford's on his way back again for a second time this year, so that's gonna that's gonna provide goals. And I think they've got too much to be in that relegation conversation at the end of the season. But I think for Leeds fans it would be they'll feel good after seeing that today, you know, against a really good West Ham side that their team could replicate some of the stuff that they were doing last year and made them so popular amongst neutrals. Looking at West Ham's situation, Jack, there's no need to be hitting the panic button in terms of where they are in the table. They're still in the in the shake up and the conversation for possibly top four, definitely in the in the conversation for, for top six or top seven. But is this maybe a little bit of a sign of the direction that they could be going in 2022? We know that this question is going to keep coming up. Are they able to keep this run going? Are they really able to challenge Man United, Arsenal, Tottenham, etc.? These types of results, I'm not saying that those teams wouldn't lose these games, but when you are West Ham and you are punching above the, the weight class, if you were, that you're expected to be in, these questions will keep coming up. And these types of results will only add to the, the add to the fuel to the fire that maybe when it really comes to the crunch, they might just fall a bit short. Yeah, I mean, going off to, uh, today's performance, they have they've had a lot of games recently. Haven't they? They've been playing a lot, um, and you know maybe that has maybe that has taken its toll in the kind of reverse to to Leeds, who have barely got barely got a squad to to put together. And I think they had a fifteen year old on the bench again today. Um, they West Ham probably quite tired and Moyes doesn't really make that many changes um, and hopefully they don't run out of steam because that'd be a real shame but you like look at the table I think Arsenal and Spurs have both got a number of games in hand on them um, United have got a couple as well uh, and even Wolves I think Wolves are like six or seven points behind them with a couple of games in hand so I, it could look very different in six weeks time um, so yeah just I know I, I think everyone wants West Ham to continue um, putting in performances and upsetting people because they've been great to watch this year. And you know, Bowen missed a sitter didn't he, in the last minute against Leeds, but it, like watching him over the last few weeks been incredible. And he's he's a sort of a wild card pick for the March internationals, I reckon. Yeah, I think based on his form, I think he's definitely putting himself right in there. And he for me, definitely, in yeah, he looks he looks different to what other options England have in that position as well I think breaking into the box breaking beyond a cane or breaking beyond whoever could be playing through the middle I think he does that more than, than other players particularly the, the City guys and the Liverpool players because they're more used to building up and building through the phases rather than maybe breaking beyond a striker I think I think Jaron Bowen's definitely uh, in with a shout and he's been uh, brilliant for West Ham right last two games we're going to get uh, rattled through now Wolves 3 Southampton 1 Rob this was strangely a little bit rough on Southampton because they had some fantastic chances they just couldn't score James Ward-Prowse scored an absolute banger of a free kick uh, a knuckleball we're not really used to seeing him doing that he normally goes for the Beckham kind of whip and swerve but this was was an absolute rocket of a finish but as for Wolves three goals three points Bruno Lage's positive start to, to 2022 has continued so I want to ask you about Adama Traore because he got himself a goal his first goal of the season he is somebody that he is a bit of an enigma within Premier League football Connor Cody in his in his post-match press conference said that he was delighted for him he's such a hard-working person we love having him here at the team and he said 
if he plays like this every week, I don't think there is any footballer in the world like him. The power, the aggression, the running style, the pace. It's a pleasure to have him here. And for as long as possible that he is at the club, he is unplayable. That kind of sums up Adama Traore because he's been linked with moves away, but it all hinges on this thing of if you can buy the best version of Adama Traore, you've got a hell of a weapon. But if you buy the kind of majority performance of Adama Traore, you get yourself a very frustrating mid-table Premier League winger. Yes, and as I was about to say, I think with Traore, you know, if you get the best version of him, he's a 50 to 60 to 70 million pound player. The problem for Wolves and for Traore is that we've seen far too often in the last 12 to 18 months that he is more like a 16 million pound player who can give you impact from the bench but can't really do it when he starts. I see what Cody's saying there, and I think for, for Wolves, most of their success this season, and you look at the statistics for Wolves, has come without Traore, you know, the way that they have attacked and also had that defensive cover as well being able to play the system with their wing backs playing high so I just think with Traore is that you know in the second half of the season if Wolves can get a song out of him you're going to see Wolves pushing for a top eight top six place because all the stats tell us that Wolves have got it together they've got almost every part of their game there they just need to start winning matches and that was a trouble for them right at the start of the campaign so you know they win 3-1 at home against a, a, a decent Southampton side Southampton were unlucky but I think Wolves are now seeing maybe the the fruits of their labour for what they were doing earlier in the campaign. They're actually now getting the victories they deserve. Where do you stand on this, chat? Because Adama Traore is 25. He's got just over a year left on his contract at Wolves. He, if we're to believe the, the kind of gossip pages, he, he does want to prove himself at a higher level, play Champions League football. He wants to get a regular place in the Spain squad after, after declaring to, to represent them at senior level. And these little bursts of inspiration and performance and goals do make clubs look and think, oh, maybe, oh, maybe. But generally speaking, the managers at the very top, Guardiola, Klopp, Tuchel, just in the Premier League, and then obviously expanding that out to Europe, they don't like risks. They like players that consistently they can demand a level of performance from. This idea that throw someone on for the last 10 or 15 minutes generally doesn't work for the real top managers do you think that might ultimately scupper him if he does want to push on and he does want to play Champions League football because he just doesn't have enough in the bank to show to a prospective buyer, this is what I can do on a regular basis? Yeah, similar to what I was saying about Sam Maximum. I think um, they would look, you're completely right, I think those top managers would look at the trial and say, well, I don't think I can get a tune out of him three times a week, which is what they need. Um, you know, he's, his goal-scoring record is not great. Uh, but I've I've witnessed it live when he's ripped teams apart when he's on song and he's like complete enigma really. Um, I don't I don't know. Does he have to go? Probably has to go abroad to to get a big move. I think I'm not kind of looking at it. And you're looking at Spurs, possibly the only bigger club in England that would take a chance on him. I would I'd suggest. Um, but you see, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's the consistency that's the that's the problem. Um, because if you know, if you get the best, as you said, if you get the best version of Adama Traore, he's one of the best players in the world. But you know, there's a reason. There's a reason why he plays for Wolves, and there's a reason why Sam Maximum plays for Newcastle. Yeah, and I think ultimately, probably come the end of the transfer window, I think the two of them will be staying exactly where they are. But there's still a bit of legs left in the transfer window, about a week, week and a half left to go, and there's going to be some movers and shakers, and Newcastle are probably 
going to open their wallets again. Last game of the weekend, uh, well, technically not the weekend, Friday night, Brighton won, Crystal Palace won, Rob. In terms of the Premier League table, this doesn't actually change either of them in terms of where they are. Brighton stay ninth, Crystal Palace stay 11th. This is a real mid-table game, mid-table performance, mid-table result, one all, everyone goes home happy, um, except they don't because the two sets of fans have a real beef with each other. Now, you told me off before we started recording that the M23 derby is a serious thing between both sets of fans. From the wider Premier League, it's kind of come up in the last five to ten years as, as Brighton have come into the Premier League and, be, and become a regular feature in the top flight. But this is not a derby or a rivalry to be taken lightly. No, not at all. This is this goes back as its history. I think Palace and Brighton fans have hated each other for decades and decades and generations. And, and it comes about from Brighton being obviously a club isolated on the south coast, now a Premier League team, but obviously in years gone by a lower division club. Uh, and those connections between those two teams have stuck. It is a derby match. So, um, you know, we saw uh, kind of the passion in this game. You know, two really good football teams who have transformed themselves over a period of years. But I think when you Crystal Palace, and you see what Vieira's doing there you know they really have gone up a level you know no offence to Roy Hodgson and what Roy Hodgson did at, at, at Sellers Park but you can see the quality that that team has now and the style of football that they want to play but it's, uh, it's difficult to see either of them maybe troubling the European conversation but we'll, we'll just have to wait and see in the next couple of months uh, before we wrap up you've both given your picks for Rafa replacements but I'm going to go back to you again to see if maybe you've changed or you've got a different name to throw into the mix Jack it's going to be a decision made soon. There's probably maybe going to be an interim for the next game or two, but who do you think is going to be taken over from Rafa? I think it will be Martinez. Back in, key, in, keeping, back in business. Yeah, kind of in keeping with the chaotic ownership and management of the club, really. OK, Roberto back at Goodison. Rob, you went for Graham Potter while we were talking about it. Are you sticking with him that he'd be tempted to go from the south coast to, to Merseyside? I think the smart money is on Martinez. I think the populist choice will be Rooney. And I think the right choice will be Graham Potter. So which choice gets made? Yeah, it's going to be Wayne Rooney. <laughs> <laughs> Populism reigns again. I think so. Okay, okay. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, Wayne Rooney back would just be a, a big, big narrative win for Everton. And uh, God knows they need it. They need some sort of positivity to get the fans back on side. Right, we're going to call it there for the Football Social Daily this weekend. Rob, Jack, as always, thanks so much for your time. Cheers, thanks, thanks a lot. Mate. Great stuff indeed, guys. And don't forget, here on the Football Social Daily, every day we are here with a daily Premier League podcast. Hit subscribe. You can get access to that as soon as it is ready. We're here right the way through next week talking about Rafa, what next at Goodison Park, and building up to yet more Premier League action. Don't forget to check us out, and we'll speak to you again very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.